This is Coach Jeremy Butt from LaSalle College High School giving a shout-out to my little boy, Julian Butt. You're listening to the More Than a Club podcast. Danielle Gallagher is a household name in women's lacrosse and one of the most decorated players from Long Island of all time. After a successful college career at William & Mary, where she played both field hockey and lacrosse, Gallagher became a four-time U.S. World Cup team member, representing the U.S. national team in the 93 World Cup in Scotland, the 97 World Cup in Japan, the 2001 World Cup in England, and the 2005 World Cup in the United States. She is a member of five Hall of Fames, including the U.S. Lacrosse Hall of Fame, where she was inducted in 2006. In addition to being a legendary player, she's a longtime women's lacrosse coach and influential club director. During her tenure on the U.S. team, Danielle also served on two successful collegiate coaching staffs as an assistant coach at Colorado College and the University of Notre Dame. At the conclusion of her collegiate coaching career in the mid-2000s, she moved home to Long Island, where as a high school coach, she earned Coach of the Year honors, two state championships, and coached numerous All-Americans. It was at that time that she also founded Long Island Liberty Lacrosse Club, which quickly became one of the preeminent clubs in the country. That's what we're pretty much going to be talking about, Danielle, mostly about during this podcast. We get into a lot of great stuff with parents, how the game has evolved, uh, discussions about mini pro athletes, and the business of club lacrosse. So sit tight and listen in. Let's go! Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Delay. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast. This is Marty Cuprian with my co-host Kate Henwood. Today we are joined by a legend in the women's lacrosse game. Kate will tell us more about Danielle Gallagher. Well, we're really excited that you're here with us today, Danielle. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast. Uh, Marty and I couldn't be more thrilled to just dive in, I think, with you and hear a little bit more about your journey um, obviously you were one of the world-class players, you know, throughout the nineties and two thousands. And, and since then have really taken the, you know, the, the role of more of like a club director and leader in the sport. So, uh, really a household name. If you haven't heard of Danielle Gallagher, then I'm excited that, you know, you're with us here today so that people can learn more about your journey. So I guess, why don't you just start off first, Danielle, and just tell us a little bit about what it was like coming up, playing the sport? Did you play other sports? Uh, what made you realize that you wanted to play lacrosse at, at a high level and, and end up at William & Mary? Thanks. Yeah, excited to be here with you guys. Um, you know, I think my my background and how did, how did I land here? God, there's a lot to it. Um, I was a three-sport three athlete in high school. And to be honest with you, I loved my change of seasons. I loved going from my fall sport. I was a confused fall sport person because I bounced between like I did cross country one year, um, played field hockey another, um, then ended up playing basketball. I was an all Long Island basketball player as well. And then went on to play lacrosse in the spring. And I really loved having the change of seasons, the change of coaches, the change of teammates, you know, all of those things for me were you know, I welcome those. So now that I look at kids nowadays, and if they're only a one sport athlete, I just feel like they're missing out on those opportunities. So, I mean, as much as I love lacrosse, I also love to kind of change it up and do some different things. You know, and research nowadays is kind of showing that there's a lot of injuries if you're just doing the same sport all year long. 
Um, and I can see it with my kids right now. Like a lot of my kids are kind of getting bored with doing the same thing year round. So either we need to make it more um, competitive or more fun, or more challenging or change things up for our kids from a club perspective, or we need to kind of start adding in different sports possibly to our club scene with those kids that are lacrosse players and then maybe have them go out and play a flag football game. Yeah. I mean, you jumped right into one of, you know, the, the hot topics that we talk a lot about is burnout and, you know, kids these days and some of the, the social constructs that they're living within and how overscheduled they are. And they're not just going outside and having a catch in the street, you know, or in the backyard anymore, you know, picking up a football and playing with their neighbors. It's like they have to go to something that's scheduled every time of the day, you know, and if they're playing a sport, it's because, you know, they paid to be there and they drove there with their parents. So, um, I guess what is your advice that you're giving to your kids who say, Hey, Danielle, I want to, I want to keep playing soccer and basketball in high school. And I'm not sure yet which sport I want to play at the next level, or even if I do want to play one at the next level. Yeah. I actually had that conversation with a sophomore. Um, so she's going to her sophomore year and she's like, I don't know if I should play soccer or not play soccer. And I said, do you love your high school teammates? Did you love your experience last year? Um, do you feel like you're going to be missing out if you don't do it? And I said, you're in a good position. Like you're a great lacrosse player. You do phenomenal things on the field. I think it's, it would be positive for you to actually go and play soccer. And she was worried about missing out on showcases and missing out on different events. And I said, you'll have your opportunities. I mean, you've got two years to go. And I think everybody always looks at it as like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up when you really want to take your time. And you have to let these kids grow and develop. And the other part of it, too, is playing soccer, being with her friends, I think sometimes is more important than playing in the grind every single weekend and just finding yourself possibly not having as much fun as you would being around your friends throughout the week. Yep. And playing different roles, too, right, is, is going to help them for the workplace and is something we've heard guests talk about, too, like, you know, I was a lacrosse player, but I continued to play soccer, like you said, with my friends, but also because it was good to be humbled um, is, is something we've heard from a guest. So um, what you talked uh, kind of right off the jump of the call about passion and passion in sports. And I think that might be a good place for us as coaches to talk about a hot topic and just tell us more is, you know, uh, do you do you sense that there's something different coming from the kids because we're doing so much because they're overstimulated and and really where are you with with the passion that you see with the athletes you work with? I think you see like less and less passion because I think there is a lot of burnout going on with the kids. Um, you know, I'm finding right now with my class that just got recruited um, they've got recruited and it's, you know, we have a saying as club coaches and, um, not the nicest saying, but it's kind of like once they, once they commit, they quit, you know, in the sense that they kind of lose the drive, lose the determination, like that's the end all be all. And, you know, for me as a college athlete, and then I went on to play at the U with the U S national team, like, and even then that wasn't like the end all be all of my world, but it was like, I love to aspire to play for something different and grow in my game and grow with the people that I was playing with, my teammates, the coaching staff um, that you're always exposed to and just taking in new experiences, I think is what you really want to take on. But the sad part for me is that they're just so fried on everything that they've done throughout their high school years that once they do commit, they're kind of just, oh, this is, I could take a rest. And it's like, then they start out as a freshman and they're kind of like, why do I feel like I'm behind the eight ball here? And it's like, well, you, you kind of dropped the ball for a year and a half um, or you didn't put as much time 
as you needed to put into it and it's catching up to you. And it's, you know, listen, it's a catch 22. I feel like we contradict ourselves when we say that, like more, 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 less, less, less. But at the same time, like find like the balance, but don't just walk and drop it. Yep. It's really interesting how you're bringing this up, Danielle, because, you know, I just remember even in my day, you know, coming up in the 2000s where the opportunities that I was afforded are a lot different, right, than the opportunities that are afforded to girls today and even boys, obviously, but especially girls. And it just is fascinating to me when I was reading through your bio how far you took your career and, you know, that that you were able to travel around the world playing, you know, at the international level, that you coached collegiately, you know, at several different institutions where you found a lot of success and, you know, that you, someone who in the 90s and 2000s were sort of carving out your own opportunities for yourself when they might not have, you know, been right at your fingertips and people might not have been throwing like today kids inboxes are filled with like 10 different showcases that they could attend on the same weekend. Right. So, um, I guess, how did you find a way to continue to develop and, um, how did you overcome those challenges, even though, you know, maybe you didn't have a stick in your hand as frequently as the girls do today? Yes. So when I actually got graduated from college, I moved out to Colorado and I was always, well, because of my exposure, I went to the Vail shootout in 1990 with the U S national team. Awesome. And we were actually touring. We did a Canadian tour and a U.S. tour. And we ended up in Vail. And I was like checking everything out. And I was like, <laughs> I'm coming back. Yeah, the summer was even better than the winter. And I was also a skier growing up. So I was like, I'm going to check this place out. So cool. I ended up going out to Colorado. I was a ski bum for a few years. And I also kind of infiltrated myself into a very, you know, um, growth oriented place, Denver, Colorado, that was like, what's lacrosse? Like, is that a butterfly net you've got? You know, back in those <laughs> days, people did not know what lacrosse was. Even though we were going to the Vale shootout, people were still like, what are those things? And what 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 is lacrosse? Um, so I would actually go down to Denver and train with Susan Stewart. Um, and believe it or not, at the time, Devin Wills was like a 12 or 13 year old yep. kid. And she would see the two of us working out together. Stewie was a goalie. I was an attacker, Mitty, Devin's a goalie. And Devin was always like, can I come with you guys? Can I shoot with you guys? Can you shoot on me? And we would work with her and she would work with us. And it was just three people that really loved the sport. We found ourselves in a place that wasn't a hotbed for lacrosse, but we still managed to work out together, do the things that we need to do. Uh, we did clinics and, you know, certain things like that, that we were just trying to grow the sport in that area and also maintaining our level and ability to play at the U.S. And Stewie played on the Canadian national team um, back in the day. So it was pretty cool to kind of grow up trying to just find ways to play and be creative with those practices that we had. And sometimes those practices were three of us. That's awesome. What a cool story. You know, and the names you're dropping are names that I obviously know, you know, who have been influential to the growth of the sport as well. So so I guess, you know, one of the coolest things about your journey, Danielle, was sort of how you landed back in Long Island, right? And you you started coaching high school again, and then you got into the club scene. I mean, talk to me a little bit about those years and, and tell us sort of how you ended up founding Liberty Lacrosse and what, all, what that meant to you at that time. Yeah, so my dad actually had health issues back in 2002, and I was coaching at Notre Dame, and I was kind of like, all right, I think it's time for me to uh, find my way back to New York and be amongst family for, you know, a little bit. So I moved back to New York, and I was kind of actually trying to avoid coaching. 
Uh, I ended up working for Pfizer and I just found myself doing the same exact thing every day. And people were like, why don't you start a club team? Why don't you start a club team? And I was like, ah, you know, I wanted to try the business world. I wanted to see what that was all about. I tried it. I got bored with it. So I ended up back coaching lacrosse. Um, I started up Liberty and we just grew. We went from, you know, we started three teams, five teams, seven teams, nine. We eventually got to about 16 teams. So we grew pretty fast and evolved when the sport was and the sport and the club scene was taking off in the early 2000s. Um, you know, back then, I think there's an organization called Galaxy that existed. And I think that organization pretty much had like maybe maybe less than 20 club teams um, involved. And, you know, we just watched the sport take off. We've watched the club system take off. Um, you know, it used to be, you'd have two or three tournaments in the summer that you could participate in fall tournaments were unheard of in the early two thousands. Um, so the fall scene didn't even exist, but I mean, now you look at it we could potentially play every single weekend throughout the year and find a tournament to put our kids in if, if we wanted to. Yep. That's a heck of a point. Yeah. That's crazy to think about, um, how fast that all changed. Yeah. Um, talk to me about the start. The three teams, was it high school? Were those high school teams and it was like, these are studs that need help for college prep or was it a youth focus? Where did you start and why? Kind of middle of the pack, your middle school kids, knowing that we just had to grow and develop some of these kids and just putting these kids on a team. And, you know, back then you could see that those kids were really interested in playing, taking their game to the next level. And, you know, they were amongst like like-minded players. So they all kind of fed into it. Um, I actually have a couple of kids from my class of 2000, 2005 to 2008, and a lot of those kids still keep in touch. Um, I see them on Instagram. I see the relationships that they have created throughout our program, which is that's always a huge positive for me in the club scene is to watch these kids from different towns. We call them frenemies. You know, they play against each other throughout the high school season. And then, you know, get them on the field together and they just become really good friends. And a lot of these girls are friends for life, which is really neat to watch. Absolutely. I just, you know, I remember, Daniel, when you were in your early years uh, with Liberty and, you know, you were just such a boss just watching you walk around, you know, with this little posse of, you know, young influential minds following you. And then when I was later on recruiting as a high school or as a college coach, watching you interact with, you know, the refs and the players on the sideline, wearing your tank top with your, like, muscles, you know, like, glistening in the sun. Yeah, just showing off the guns and just, you know, everyone's like, there's Danielle Gallagher. Look, she's, like, running the show over there. And it's just been so inspirational, I think, to watch your career. And it's, it's so fascinating for me to hear that you kept trying to get away from lacrosse, you know, whereas I was this, like, impressionable mind who was like, wow, like, what, you know, what a legend, what a hero. But it's interesting that like you were actually just trying to avoid it. So tell me more about that. <laughs> I think it's, you know, you play a sport for so long and you're kind of like, all right, I, wa I want to try something different. I just want to expose myself to something different in my life. And then little did I realize that running a club team is running a business. It, yep. it you, you get to do everything, um, you know, from marketing to, um, you know, the day-to-day -day business things that you need to do, balancing Excel sheets, you know, sending out emails, you know, some of the tedious stuff that we need to do, um, just coordinating, always being a liaison between the parents and the coaches, or, you know, 
a liaison between the coaches and the kids, you know, different things like that. And now you look at it and I get to coach kids fourth grade to 11th grade. So nothing, my day is never the same. Like I never have one day that is the same. And that's what I found in my Pfizer world was I was just, it was, I was bored. So, you know, being around so many different people, you have so many different experiences with the kids, with the parents, um, you know, even speaking to people like you that run other clubs. Um, I think I have a pretty good support system of friends that are in the club system that we always bounce things off of each other. We're always talking about the sport. We're always talking about the direction of the sport. We're talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, you know, and it is really good to have friends in the sport. And also it's great to have kids that are passionate about learning more about the sport. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. So, uh, you know, having been around and kind of run the club for so long, um, and, and seen things change and I'm sure some groups or events come and go, um, you know, how would you kind of reflect on the current club landscape? as you see it and, and what needs to change or what are some of the issues that, you know, leaders like yourself are talking about? I think the whole, the club landscape right now, I mean, there's so many teams, um, you know, I eventually think things are going to go regionalized. I just think it's really tough. Um, I think it's tough for parents' budgets. I think it's tough for everybody to manage. Um, you know, we're going out to Dallas in a couple of weeks. You know, when you think about that, parents are like, why does it cost so much to go out there? And it's like, we're paying for coaches' hotels. We're paying for hotels, airfare, rent-to-cars. All of that adds up. Um, and years ago, we were regionalized in the sense that we had to be regionalized because we weren't as big. Um, and I know it's a catch-22 to go regional because that ruins a lot of bringing the best teams together. So I think eventually we're going to end up in a situation where we're regionalized to play in tournaments based on your level and ability. That also creates a whole, you know, another wave of things with, you know, like club rankings. You know, my parents are like, well, we have to go to this tournament. Well, in order to get ranked, we're going to need to travel. So, you know, our expenditures go up. So it, there's a little bit of a catch-22 with everything that's going on. And I don't know what the answer is. Um, but I just know watching parents without the balance, um, putting their – fourth grader in a car and traveling 45 minutes to go to practices two or three times a week, that's not going to add up to good things for those kids, nor the families. Um, I'm actually listening to a book on tape right now and it is Linda Flanagan. Um, and she's really interesting. She's got some great points. Um, and it's basically just the uh, take back the game, how money and mania have impacted youth sports. So it's interesting to kind of hear what she has to say about what's happening with the family dynamic with everybody being so obsessed with youth sports. Um, and I think the pressures that exist for little kids, little kids, you know, we're going back to fourth graders again. But once you start to rank fourth, fifth, sixth graders, um, you know, you're talking about a whole different ballgame. I actually say this to my parents when we meet and we are at tryouts and I have a little bit of a parent meeting and I say, we're coaching kids. We're not coaching miniature professional athletes. <laughs> These kids are going to evolve. I think the hard part is, is you watch like a kid, superstar stud, somebody's great in fourth grade. Everybody else grows. They catch up. And that kid, their ego is smacked down. You know, three years later, they're not as good as they were because everybody else is caught up to them. And I think that whole brain chemistry on those kids is not a good thing. 
And then the other part is the kids that quit and they never give it a chance. It's kind of a bummer to watch that whole world happen as well. Yeah. I mean, you bring up so many great points, obviously, just the fact that, you know, the club and the youth sports industry is a business, you know, that you you thought you were getting out of business, but you were actually realizing you were doing, a, you know, you were running a business. And, you know, Coop and I were talking just before the call with you just about how sometimes we feel like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth because, you know, when you're running a business, the point of a business is to make money. But at the same time, we see ourselves as educators and mentors and people who care about these young, these young people and these athletes that we want what's best for them. So finding that balance becomes really difficult for us and for the parents. And really the kids are sort of just at our disposal. You know, they're just, they don't really have as much control over the situation. And, and unfortunately, they're the ones who are kind of just living it. What I, what I love that you said is your, your days are never the same. And that's kind of what keeps you going is that, you you know, you're you're going to make valuable contributions that will, you know, live on. So um, talk to me about just how crowded the landscape is locally, because I know in Philadelphia, I could name 20 to 30 clubs that I compete with, whether it's on the field or just in the region. And, you know, back in when I was in high school, you know, 20 years ago, that was one or two clubs. And so when you said, you know, we're going to go regionalized, my mind kind of went to uh, each each region being represented by by one instead of 30 all-star teams. But I think that was the wrong way to take the word and really just interested in like, what is the landscape? How many clubs are in Long Island? I can't even imagine. It's the same as you guys. You know, there's okay. 10 to 15 girls clubs, you know, and Long Island, Long Island's not huge. And then, you know, even 30 minutes, 40 minutes, you've got the Westchester area, Westchester, Connecticut. They're all right there as well. And there's to 15 to 20 clubs right there. And some of those might be the best or strongest in the country though, right? There's some real depth there. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, Connecticut, you've got the Grizzlies, you know, we've got the Yellow Jackets in our backyard, Jester's in our backyard, um, Top Guns, Liberty, uh, Primetime, you know, yeah. and I could just keep rattling them off. There's just a lot of really good clubs around. And I think a little bit of, is the sports getting watered down with so many clubs as well? Yeah, absolutely. That that's something I'm quick to tell parents is that you know not every club or double A or whatever they call themselves is really an all star team. It, it's definitely an opportunity to play, but look closely at you know the training schedule, the the experience of those that you're working with, and the track record. But um, Kate. Just kind of talk a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think about it just like capitalism at, you know, working it in its finest, you know, example, just that there's, there was a, a demand for more products. So people answered, you know, businesses answered the call and, and now there's uh, really, it's a buyer's market. You know, these kids can shop around for different clubs, which really forces the clubs to make sure that they're providing a good customer experience, right? And like their prices are competitive and, you know, they have to demonstrate their value to their to their players and the parents. And it's it, it's it's business, um, which is what's so fascinating and what's so different from when I grew up is there was like maybe one club that for me to go play on. And I had to like scrape and claw my way into it. Um, but nowadays the clubs are fighting over the kids um, and there's really just so many. But at the on, at the same time, the benefit, I think, is to the kids in a lot of ways, because, you know, 
now the clubs have to deliver. You know, there is a level of expectation because they have choices, um, which I think is making us all, you know, provide a better experience for the kids and the players and hopefully helps them. But it certainly is not easy to navigate for, you know, parents who are new to the game and, and youth sports and trying to figure it out. It's you almost need like a, <laughs> a little consultant on your shoulder, like guiding you through because it's not easy and it's constantly changing. Right. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, you just you just watch, um, you know, the kids, that kids that are club jumpers, they're going all over the place. You know, it'd be interesting to kind of do a study and see how many of those kids really like their club experience. Yep. And I, I've had it at different different age groups with different um, experiences. So my class of 22, we had kids from all over the place. And those kids stuck together, whether they won or lost, they stuck together and they ended up doing great in the recruiting process. That's one of my teams that they are friends for life, mm-hmm. um, you know, and a strong group of kids that loved each other, had a positive club experience. And all they wanted to do was spend another weekend together, go out and hang out together you know, different things like that, which you're like, wow, that's so cool to see. And then I have other grades that, you know, a lot of people are jumping and those grades kind of never figure out. The kids never figure out kind of where they fit in our club slash with the other kids because it's ever changing. And it just depends on the year. And it is unfortunate to kind of watch the kids kind of jump and not evolve with the other kids. But at the same time, you know, maybe they're frustrated with, X, Y, and Z, and they want a different experience and they want to try something different. You know, I think there's a lot of variables that the parents are looking at, but when parents are just looking at the wins and losses and their kids happy, I think that's where they have to start to question like, okay, what's more important, our kids happiness or her winning and sitting on a bench and playing 10 minutes of our trip to Maryland for the weekend. Or developing, right? Like we're, we might not be going four and zero. We went two and two, or even zero and four. But we got better every game. Every kid's confidence grew. They tried new things. You know, as the sideline was positive. You know, yeah. yeah. But when it's when you go zero and four, like it, it becomes really difficult as a coach or a director to to argue. You know that case because it. You know because of the rankings and and this and that. And, you know. Certain players, I think, would rather go be a star on a team that plays in the B division, right, than be someone who has to really work to earn their time, you know, on a team that is playing in the A division at the top tournaments. Um, But it is fascinating. And, you know, you bring up parents, Danielle, and one of the things that I feel like um, I witness now as someone who helps to, you know, operate these tournaments is – the different climate and energy on the sidelines between the youth games and the high school games. You would think that the high school parents um, are like the quote craziest, you know, the loudest and like the most boisterous. And certainly you see some of that, but probably more at like high school games than club games because they tend to be on their best behavior because they know college coaches are, are walking around and they want to, you know, put on a good face. I've found that the youth parents, the youngest you know, the youngest divisions are the ones where the parents need the most sort of monitoring. Um, they're constantly trying to set up their chairs, like way too close to the team benches. They're like on the field, they're yelling at the refs. They're like, you know, they're screaming at these kids who are like eight, you know, who, um, they don't realize that they're probably just completely stressing out instead of just encouraging them. So are you seeing something similar there? Is it, is that just me or, are the parents who are sort of the, the parents of the younger players who are newest to this, the ones who I think need the 
the most of like a gut check. Nope. That goes back to my comment. I said earlier, we are coaching kids, not miniature professional athletes. So yeah. And yeah, the sidelines on the, for the youth has gotten more and more crazy. Um, you could see the stress, you could see the uncomfortableness of the kids. Um, I'll never forget. I think it was five years ago, which I don't even want to see it right now, but two rival, we were at a local tournament, two rival teams, the entire sidelines was strewn with parents. You know, you just said it, but it was strewn with parents yelling at everything. You couldn't hear the ref's whistle blow. The kids were in like a, a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just really uncomfortable. For, for, I just kind of, I, I try to stand outside of things sometimes and just take that kind of a perspective. And yeah. I was just looking at it going, wow, this is kind of freaky. Cause those are the fourth grade kids on the field. And this atmosphere is way out of control. You know, you make a mistake, you know, you hear it and you feel it based on what the parents are kind of yelling on the sidelines. And for me growing up, playing was fun. And I had such a passion for it and a love for it. Like stepping on the field was like awesome. Being with my teammates, being on the field, whether we, you know, listen, nobody likes losing, but when you lost, you kind of said, all right, what did we learn? But we win together, we lose together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you kind of walk away with those lessons and we grow together, So, you know, you just want the kids to understand that. And I think it's a really tough climate nowadays to really find that passion and the love for the sport when it's so intense. Why do you think that is? I mean, you have a a little one, Coop, you know? If you're the parent, you're going, well, they they kind of are like my little professional athlete. Like I have their schedule on my phone, you know, the whole whole family's got the team snap. All the parents are chirping about it all weekend. We, we get maybe film of the game and we have an Instagram account. So I think, as you said, mini professional athlete, I'm like, man, that's the right way to say it. But for some of the parents, like they might be, you know, projecting to some of the, the problem and issues here. Um, but it was also interesting to hear you describe the sideline because I have those moments at every tournament where I'm like, are we for real right now? <laughs> like, it's a beautiful day. And like, we're all here at this fourth grade lacrosse game, like yelling at some ref, you know, or like yelling at the biggest kid in the field for being really good. Like, what? Everyone chill out. So um, it's good to know that they, there's, some, there's some some of that. But I think for the parents, they're investing so much time back to back to the professional sports. They're, you know, loading the car the night before, doing the laundry, like everything's going towards it as if, they really are a professional athlete. And then what's troubling for me is sometimes when the emotions of the parents ride on that result of this little, you know, youth sports game or, or scrimmage or tournament and um, the, the tone of the whole tailgate, you know, rides with that, that loss you just had. And you're like, what? We are, we are all here together. There's so many awesome people here. Why are we acting like that sixth grade lacrosse game is going to determine how we act towards each other and how we feel the rest of our day? And um, some of that is why we have a podcast. You could tell, like, this is, this is therapy for us. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was one of our first lessons at the podcast was, like, you know, internal scoreboard versus exter- external scoreboard. And for, you know, a parent driving to a car – your internal scoreboard is not represented by like your son or daughter's 
eighth grade lacrosse performance on a one day. It's like, just be, be an awesome parent and you'll know you're doing the right things. Yeah. And I'm just, I'll just add to that too. Like I'm not the perfect coach. Like I've been on a sideline and I've yelled and Kate said it earlier. She's heard me yelling at None the refs. Are. You yeah. just think like, what? I said, you know, yell. I said, you know, boss. banter boss. Yeah. Coach. <laughs> the game has gotten super physical. And I think like some of that has to be stepped back just a little bit. Um, you know, I've dealt with kids with concussions that are out for an entire season. So, you know, my intensity with some of the refs is just based on a lot of the injuries that I've seen, the physicality, um, and it's got to be something that kind of gets checked in. And I think one of the biggest things and one of the biggest issues I have with our sport is you could go and play on Saturday and Sunday at the same tournament and you play four games and there are four different rules that are called in each one of those games. So we just need more consistency with our officiating. And it's really unfortunate because we are losing numbers um, on the officiating side. We're also, as you start to watch the sport, we are also losing numbers on the coaching side as well. So it's it's just tough to see the sport, but we need to rein certain things in and get control of certain things. I mean, I had a fourth grade, fourth grade game the other day, and I've got a kid getting a stick on her left hip and her right hip into her ribs. And that's where I get a little, you know, kooky on the sidelines with the calls. Sure. sure. Can you give me uh, just, you know, more advice or tips on, you know, setting expectations with parents or um, really helping coaches that work beneath you, uh, you know, have success managing parents? Well, I think what we all need to do is just teach the kids by what the rules say, you know, and, and understand and comprehend that. A little bit of the catch 22 is we've got college rules that are way different than high school rules. So if I'm a high school player watching the collegiate game, I'm going to do what the college girls do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once you start to do that, and I have a lot of kids that get fr- high school kids that get frustrated because they're like, but that's not a foul. And I'm like, it is at the high school level. <laughs> You're yeah, not in college point. yet. So you got to abide by the rules based on where you are. And I think the parents need to understand that too. Cause I've seen coaches on the other side, you know, yelling like, that's not a foul. And I'm like, how could you say that's not a foul? <laughs> right. So you it's all of yeah, us just getting a better understanding. Yeah, you, I mean, Danielle, you've seen the game at every level, you know, and across, uh, you know, multiple just phases, I think, of growth. And um, it, it's just obviously changed so much since when, you know, you were playing on it, at, you know, at the, at the collegiate level to today. And I guess there's been a lot of evolutions and rule changes and um, challenges. And I think we've kind of, we've identified a lot of the problems I think with the game and sort of like the experiences that some kids are having. But when we look forward to the future, you know, with the evolution into the Olympics and, you know, box lacrosse and sixes and, you know, the USL coming up with like the seven V seven model, I guess, what excites you the most? Like what gets your blood pumping? What makes you excited about an opportunity in our sport for growth that you think is going in the right direction? They're just trying to make the game faster. They're making it a little, a lot faster. And they're also trying to make it more media friendly. So, you know, in working with that, like it is exciting to watch. I mean, listen, if anybody watched the World Cup this past summer, you know, on the women's side, you saw some pretty phenomenal stick work, the athleticism, 
um, you know, not just from we always Passion. you know we say stick work from <laughs> an attacker perspective. All we attackers shoot score, you know, that's all we ever want to talk about. But just defensively, the goalies. I mean, the whole game has evolved to such a level that it is phenomenal to watch. Same thing with watching the women's pro games. I mean, I, I was tuning into that regularly on the weekends, and I'm like, I'm not really into sports in the summer because it's not my. I like football. Um, not really a basketball person in the winter to watch it, but like this summer, I really found myself going, Oh shoot, that game's on this afternoon. I want to go home and watch it. And it was really neat to have that at our fingertips and be able to watch that. So I think those aspects of the game are neat from a viewer perspective. I think the kids will grow a ton by watching these players play. So I think from that perspective, I really do love the media presence that the sport is getting right now. Um, and just watching the social media with these players, you know, get up there in their uh, their esteem and, you know, who they are as female athletes. Agree. Give us uh, just some recommendations, like who are your, some of your favorite maybe college programs or uh, pro or college players to watch? Um, if you have any right now, just for our listening audience, like who's who's hot right now in the game that you're a fan of? Uh, Alice Mercer defender, you know, so a lot of people, again, we always watch the attackers. I actually worked with one of the pro teams. I was a GM for one of the pro teams early on when the pro thing started kicking off. Um, Alice Mercer is just insane. Her angles are unbelievable from a defensive perspective, her comprehension of the game. She's nasty as a defender. She just has it all together. Um, you know, Taylor Moreno, phenomenal goalie. Um, Kayla Trainer is definitely one of my favorites. Um, and I really wish somebody had been recording the game last year at President's Cup. I don't think they have footage of it, but she just dominated, you know, at a level at which, you know, you don't see. Um, and at that time, uh, my God, Total Space Charlotte North was not playing, but you know, watching her this summer evolve and grow has been pretty phenomenal as well. So it's it's just all these new players coming up and they've just got a whole new bag of tricks. And as I say, like a whole new bag of tricks, like Charlotte North is pumping out that jump shot. That jump shot was being taken a long time ago. Um, you know, I played on the field with like Kelly Amante, um, Quinn Carney, you know, just different people that had that skill set but you didn't see it on social media and you didn't see it over and over again. So a lot and of these things that these players are doing, you know, these skill sets were done way back then. Actually, Betsy Doherty, I think was one of the first that I saw <laughs> do the go. jump shot. But, but that just goes to show you how important it is, right? That the women's pro um, league has been on TV, that these girls are watching it on a Saturday afternoon, that they're looking at their phone and scrolling and watching through these videos and seeing Charlotte North, you know, like, rip a shot from outside and Kayla Trainer shoot behind her back, like on the run and Alice Mercer, you know, demonstrating incredible athleticism on the defensive end. Those are things that young girls weren't seeing, you know, easily unless they got into a car, drove for three hours to a college game on like a cold March day, you know, and that's, I think what's helping our sport grow so much. And I just saw a bunch of girls dressed up as Charlotte North for Halloween like that wasn't happening 10 years ago. That's awesome, you know? So it's really cool. And people and everyone knew who Charlotte North was. Right. You know, like what a what a cool costume. That's awesome. Yep. Um 
That'll help us move on to our rapid fire homework section. Our guest, Danielle, will help us assign some relevant homework to our listening audience to close the show. Uh, Danielle, in 15 seconds or less, what homework would you like to leave for our listeners who are coaches? I listened to a podcast the other day, Linda Flanagan and John O'Sullivan. I would highly recommend it. It's just all about um, just youth sports and what we're doing right now with youth sports. And I think there's some things that need to change Um, from a parent perspective, coaching perspective, player perspective. It kind of tackles all of those. Great. We'll definitely put that in our show notes so that our listeners can find it. Um, How about for players, Danielle? What's your homework for them? My biggest thing that I say to my kids nowadays is listen, learn, and apply the things that you're being taught. I think there's a lot of things that sometimes they hear, sometimes they don't, um, and ask questions. You know, I always love when my, I always ask my kids and they like, look at me like, we're allowed to ask that. And I say, have you been taught this differently? And if you have, I'd like to know what you've been taught so I can explain my way. And I'm not saying my way is the right way, but I want to work with you to find out what works for you, what's going to work for us as a team. And let's figure that out. But I think listen, learn, apply. And if you do have a challenge, ask the coach, bring it up. Don't just run around all confused. Yeah. Great. Great. Absolutely. Yeah. And closing with some homework for parents. I think just let your kids grow and develop. You know, I I think I said it earlier, but like some kids are going to grow at a different rate than others. You know, you might have a kid that's in fourth grade that doesn't even like the sport and doesn't even want to play. And, you know, they don't like contact. They don't like the physicality, you know, in two years. And listen, if that kid's on a B team, actually had Lindsey Rombeck, um, she's a great player from Florida, and Hallie Majorana, who's a, an All-American who went on to play at uh, Syracuse. Both of those kids were on B teams for me at huh. one point. You know, and their parents just let them grow, let them evolve, let them figure it out. And all it was was maybe putting a little bit more time into your game so that you can make an A team. And just because you're on a B team, it doesn't mean, and for the parents, just because your kid's on a B team, it doesn't mean that they're of a lesser ability. They just might need more time to grow. They might need more time to comprehend the game. Thank you for saying that. That's that's a huge take-home point, I think. Awesome. As this show comes to a close, I wanted to thank Danielle Gallagher again for giving us her time tonight. It was awesome to hear from a legend in the game who shares our great passion for lacrosse, who was growth-oriented. One takeaway for me will be listen, learn, apply. Um, Just kind of jotting that down at the end. Danielle, it was fun to see Kate light up, uh, telling people in the office that you were our guest tonight and to wrap with you here. So look forward to more in the future. Um, And on behalf of Kate, our guest Danielle, and our host Justin. We will wrap up this episode, which is season four, episode six from Contra Hawken. We're signing off. Deande Nose.